Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, episode 17. to another edition of the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Brannon, and today we're going to be talking about family businesses. This is something that I run into all the time in my practice. Probably half, if not two-thirds of the businesses that I work with have some kind of family component, uh, whether it's father-son, whether it's husband-wife, whether it's uh, mother-son. It kind of runs the gamut. We've got all different kinds of situations. I'm going to do two podcasts on this subject because there's so much to talk about. And today, I'm going to talk about the 10 best things about family businesses. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the 10 worst things about family businesses. And sometimes these are two sides of the same coin. So you can't have the good without the bad. And we're going to jump right in. So probably the number one thing that I point to, and this is, I'll back up a second too. I had the experience of working in my father's business right out of college. I spent a year doing something else. I thought I wanted to be an attorney, so I worked in a law firm. And then uh, I was ready to make a move, and so my dad asked me if I'd be interested in working in his business. And so I did that for four years. So a lot of this comes from firsthand experience. So that was that was a lot of years ago. That was about 14 years ago that I did that. But um, – it's still relevant because these things are going to come up all the time. So the first thing that the, the first best thing about working in a family business is rapid experience. And this is from the perspective of the employee. So I'm going to, I'll kind of, the most common scenario that we have is children working in mom and dad's business. So uh, from this standpoint, when the child comes in and begins working in the business, the amount of experience that they're able to accumulate uh, is it's at a pace that you are not going to experience anywhere else. One of the great things about family businesses is you have this kind of universal um, trust where, and I know this was the case when I went to work for my dad, if I thought that there was going to be a project that was interesting or if I was curious about something or if I wanted to try something new, I could go to him and say, hey, I'd like to do this, or hey, I'd like to work on this, or um, is there a way that we can find some time for us to sit down and go over this potential project or potential new direction for the firm or potential uh, or new tool that I've developed? And I would always have my dad's ear, and there was a level of trust. He knew that if I went, if I wanted to work on a project that I had never worked on that kind of thing before – he knew that I wasn't going to get in over my head and embarrass him or the firm, that I would come and ask and, and um, you know, kind of cry uncle before I got in too deep. So that ability uh, to trust each other and to have that level of trust on a day-in, day-out basis allows the, the uh, child who's working in the business to accumulate experience so much quicker than they would at any other firm. I know – I worked for my dad's firm for – it was a CPA firm. I did tax and accounting work. I did um, IT system stuff, helping clients convert their records over to electronic records, electronic bookkeeping. I did some business process stuff, helping clients find the best way to do things in, inside their companies. 
and the benefits of of that experience are hard to overestimate. And uh, you know, in my case, when I went to work uh, for another tax firm after I left my dad's place a couple years later, um, they were amazed at the breadth of experience I had preparing tax returns. I had seen just about every tax return that that a business or an individual could deal with, all the way from 706 death tax returns to trust tax returns to your run-of-the-mill 1040s to complex 1065 partnerships. Um, You know, and so that was – I would have only gotten that experience inside four years at my dad's business. Nobody else would have given me the latitude to try all those different types of projects. The second big thing that I think is a a benefit – one of the best things about running a family business is that you get to continue the legacy. So I, I know from growing up in my dad's household, you know, growing up under my, my parents' tutelage, under their influence, under their mentoring, I knew there were, there were certain things about the way my dad did business. And I knew about those things from as far back as I can remember. I think my dad started his business when I was about three or four years old. So the entire time I was growing up, I grew up in a home where my dad owned his own business. And the way he ran his business was a lot like the way he ran everything else. And I got to see that on a day-to-day basis. So when I came into the business as a 22, 23-year-old, I had uh, this kind of deep, rich history of the way that my dad did business. And and you've heard it said, you know, it's not what you do, it's how you do it that really sets you apart. And that was certainly the case with my dad. And I got to see um, how that worked itself out in day-to-day business operations, things I wasn't familiar with. But I always knew the way that my dad did business and what that meant in terms of our family reputation and and. and the, the value he placed on a good name and standing by his word and helping people. You know, my dad did a lot of pro bono stuff. He had a real heart for widows and orphans, and he, he spent a lot of time that wasn't on the clock, that could have been on the clock, helping other people out and working for nonprofits. And when I came in, had I stayed in that business, had I continued the the family ownership of that business, that legacy would have continued because I – I knew what that looked like. I knew the rich history of that. So when you talk about a, a business owner bringing in the second generation, they do get to continue the legacy. And there will always be things about the the business that the younger generation, the next generation wants to change. But in terms of the values, those tend to stick with the organization because the child grew up with those things. That's that's kind of who they are, and, and the parents make sure that that translates into the next generation of the business. Another area that I think is a benefit more for the from the parent side is there's this the, the this level of personal fulfillment that comes from seeing your children succeed. And I hear this all the time from clients that I work with when they work with their kids in the business. And even clients who who've had a, a short time to work with their parents in the business or their kids in the business and the kids are no longer there. There's this ability there's this neat uh, thing of seeing your kids come to work every day and seeing them succeed in a way that you don't get to see if they don't work for you. So lots of parents ha- do a great job parenting, um, and they have children who go on to have successful careers in whatever field, but the parents aren't there to witness that success on a day-to-day basis. But in a family business, they are. 
If the child's in sales, they get to see them close the big sale. If they're in operations, they get to see them overcome you know, this big hurdle or put out this major fire and come away with a happy customer. If they're in management, they get to, they get to watch these kids, their kids who are now adults, um, train and manage new leaders in the company and bring them up. And as a parent, I know from listening to clients, that is a hugely fulfilling part of running a family business and having the kids there on a day-to-day basis, to be able to see them do those things right in front of your eyes, to be able to hear about them, hear about their successes from other employees and other team members, to hear customers brag on them, and to sense the pride that those kids have in being given the opportunity to excel and find career success inside the four walls of the family business. Huge, huge, huge benefit for the parents of having a family-run business. I'm going to go back for number four. I'm going to go back to the trust thing that we were talking about before. Now, I think the trust that exists in those relationships and family businesses allows for what I would call a low mental overhead. And so I I, I told you I grew up in in a home where my dad owned his own business. And I know that there's a lot of mental overhead that comes from owning a business and managing employees. And it runs the the range of um, you know worrying about their job performance, worrying about their family members. So you know we had my dad had employees who had family members who got sick. My my dad had employees who got sick, and he was worried not only about the employees but about the family that was depending on the income from that employee. Um, it, and, and those are things that you're probably never going to get. Good bosses are always going to worry about those things. But then there's the, the other things that business owners shouldn't have to worry about, like are my employees stealing from me? Um, are my employees giving me their best effort? Are my employees um, thankful for the opportunities that I'm providing to them? Are they going to take advantage of those? Are they going to take advantage of me? Are they going to steal my clients? And you have all of this mental overhead of the uncertainty surrounding employees because, you know, we, we know people, but we don't really, really know people. And you can look at fraud statistics and something like uh, it's a ridiculous number of frauds. I want to say over three, three quarters of the frauds that are committed, financial frauds that are committed against businesses are created by employees who've been there 5, 10, 15, 20 years. They're the most trusted employee in the company and they steal from the owner. So, one of the big benefits of a family-run business is that low mental overhead with regard to the child that's running a particular section of the business. The business owner knows that, yeah, there's all these other areas that i got to worry about, but I don't have to worry about that. I know that he or she always has our best interest at heart. I know that he or she is not going to steal from me. I know that he or she is honorable. I know I know that he or she um, you know, is struggling at home, but... I know the full picture and I know that it's going to be okay or um, I'm going to ask them to take some time off and go attend to things at home. So just having that relationship and having that more complete picture and most important, having that level of trust allows the business owner really to focus on the business. And what's interesting is that you hear a lot of – I run into a lot of business owners and they've been bitten by this uh, you know, personal familiarity that they've had with an employee Maybe who took advantage of them, um, you know. Maybe they they took the time to really get to know the employee and their family and their children. 
And then they feel like the employee used that, um, that relationship to take advantage of the business in some way by preying on the business owner's um, you know, sense of care to loan them money and then they didn't repay the money. I've seen that happen many times. Um, using those kids as leverage to ask for a raise. I've seen that happen before. And so at some point in time, the business owner decides, you know what? A business is business and personal is personal. And I'm going to separate the two. And I am not going to go out on this personal limb with my employees. I'm not going to go the extra mile to build relationships with them. I'm not going to go the extra mile to learn about their family and their children and their interests and their struggles and all that stuff. I'm just going to let business be business. And when you have those situations, that's where this mental overhead is the highest because you, you kind of want to stick your head in the sand and not pay attention to all the personal factors that could be affecting their business performance. But at the same time, you know that if you don't address those things, then you're always going to lay awake at night wondering what could be or what might be going on behind your back. And what the, the ironic thing is, this situation in a family business where you don't have that mental overhead is created precisely because you do have this incredibly close personal relationship with the employee. So if there's a lesson to take out of this, I think it's, you know, you should get to know your employees. You should develop those personal relationships and get that level of trust. Now, there are some untrustworthy people out there. If you go through some of the hiring practices that we talk about and some of the stuff that we steal out of the top grading methodology, you should be able to not bring a lot of those people on board. You should be able to weed them out before you get that far and have them on your team. But there's always going to be some bad apples that are going to get through the filter. And I would just encourage you to try to build those personal relationships. And if you question whether that's of value to the business, just look at situations where the business owner and their child work in the same business together. And there's a tremendous amount of trust. There's a tremendous amount of personal relationship. And as a consequence of both of those things, there's lower mental overhead when the business owner puts their head on the pillow at night. They're not worried about whether the employee is stealing for them. They're not worried about whether the employee's personal challenges at home are taking away from their job performance. They're not worried about all of the things that they tend to worry about when they don't have the personal relationship. The next one that we're going to talk about, see, this is number five. Um, one of the next big advantages is that mentoring has a formal time and place when the child is a part of the business. And what I mean by this is, a lot of parents know they should be – and I'm, I'm speaking strictly about parents mentoring their children. And a lot of parents know that they should be mentoring their children so that the, the parenting phase is kind of over when that child reaches uh, 18, 19 years old and they leave the house and they, maybe they go away to school or they go into the military or they move into their first career. And the parenting phase is done. You're, you're pretty much done parenting. You've taught them everything as a parent you're going to teach them. But you move into this new stage now where you're really mentoring them. And mentoring and parenting are completely, completely different in some ways and a lot alike in others. So the, one of the ways that they're different is, you know, parenting is it's a, a position of authority over the child. So, you know, it's like, hey, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. Mentoring is completely different. Mentoring is a, is a consent thing. I consent to be mentored by you. Um, 
I give you permission to, you know, to kind of speak into my life and to teach me things and to give me feedback and to give me criticism in different areas and, and give me counsel and wisdom in these things. And with that, there's an expectation that when you give me counsel, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to, I'm going to put what you are taking the time to tell me and teach me. I'm going to put that to some good effect. So when you have a family-run business, one of the benefits of that is that this mentoring aspect has a formal time and place assigned to it. So literally from 8 to 5 or whatever your business hours are, you have the opportunity to mentor that child. And, and there's a place to do it. It's called the business or the office or the store or the shop or whatever it is. Now, you're not going to spend 40 hours during the 40 of 40 or, or 60 of 60 or whatever it is. You're going to spend all that time mentoring. But you certainly have so much more opportunity to mentor that child and to speak into their life and to develop them as a person, as a woman, as a man, as a contributing member of society, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it. You have so many more opportunities to do that when they're working inside your company versus when they've chosen to, to pursue their career elsewhere. One of my best, fondest memories about working for my dad would be these once-a-week breakfasts that we'd have. And it wasn't always set, but it tended to be a Thursday or a Friday. And uh, I'd be leaving the office Wednesday or Thursday night, and he'd say, hey, how about breakfast tomorrow morning? And so we would meet for breakfast at this place called Wolfie's in Ocala, Florida, on State Road 40, Silver Springs Boulevard. And we would eat breakfast together before we went into the office. And I remember I was going through a tough time in my life, and I remember my dad using that time just to ask me how things were going and to encourage me. And just those were times that, um, yeah, if I was if I was working in town, I'm sure we could have done that. But the fact that I checked I checked in with him every evening before I went home, and he had that opportunity to say, "Hey, what are you doing for breakfast tomorrow?" You know, I wouldn't have gotten that even if I'd have been working at the office next door. So. There's a there's a great opportunity for parents to mentor their children inside a business because there's a formal time and place available for that when there's a family-run business. So as, as parents, I would encourage you, don't miss those opportunities. As children, I would say, don't miss those opportunities. If If you need to ask them out for breakfast, if you need to get time on their calendar during the day to talk about leadership, if you need to go pick the book off the shelf and say, hey, can we go through this together because I want to learn more about sales or I want to learn more about leadership or I want to learn more about management, can we go through this chapter by chapter once a week together and work on it? Take advantage of the ability you have working inside a family business to work that mentoring relationship. Number six, um, I call this the the leapfrog effect, and this is this is one of those things that benefits the kids. I, I think all these benefit both, but each one is going to have kind of the primary beneficiary and the secondary beneficiary. And this one, the kid is the primary beneficiary, and the leapfrog effect has to do with access. So, I had a a um, I was on a business trip recently, and I was talking to husband and wife who were sitting at our table for dinner, and we, we actually got on this topic, and it's something that I've seen happen, and it was really neat to see them validate that and tell me a story about um, ab- about this same thing happening in their business. So they have, I think, a couple of sons that work in the business with them, and 
the the parents were telling me, you know, these kids get opportunities that other kids that their age, 22, 23, 24 years old, just don't get. And they said, you know, this the other day, we're sitting in a meeting with the president of a billion-dollar company. This guy's he runs a billion-dollar company. And my kids are in the meeting with me, and they're offering suggestions and feedback, and they're uh, an integral part of this meeting that's happening. They go, you know, 23, 24-year-old kids just don't get the opportunity to do that kind of stuff. And I remember this happening when I was working for my dad, and I've seen it happen uh, with, with clients that I work with. You know, that you're, the, the client's going to negotiate a multimillion-dollar bank loan. And who's the point person? It's the child because dad says, hey, I want you to work with her on this. She knows all our financials. She knows all of our operations. She knows where all the documents are. If you need anything from me, feel free to ask, but I really want you to work through her first. Well, how many young adults get the opportunity to close multi-million dollar bank deals? Not many unless they're working inside of a family business. Um, so. That's what I mean by this leapfrog effect. The, the, the other thing that happens in those situations is – I mean I remember situations where I was in way over my head way too early you know, because dad brought me into a meeting and I had no business being there. You know, the other 25, 26-year-old kids would not have been in these meetings. But he, he drug me into the meetings because I was his son and I was working in the family business and he wanted to give me more responsibility and he and – the. The people that we were meeting with were – we were essentially the customers, so we could ask for whatever we wanted to, and they were they were there to provide services to us. And during those meetings, you know, I, I always rem- – I remember feeling out of place. I remember, you know, the first time you get drugged into one of those situations, uh, I remember having to go with him. Uh, we audited one of the larger nonprofits in the county. I remember I had to go to with him to the board meeting and present part of – our work papers to the board. And I'm presenting to people who are two and three times my age, have vastly more business experience, know this nonprofit inside and out. And here I am, this young kid, and I'm the expert on this particular part of the engagement that we were working on. And I felt way in over my head. But I also, when when I got through that experience and I got into another situation, maybe where my dad wasn't by my side, I could look back on that and go, you know, I belong here because I've done this before, you know, and, and maybe with it, you know, the first couple of times, those are the training wheels, and then they take the training wheels off and throw you out there on your own. And I definitely remember, I remember very distinctly sitting in a conference room. This is after I left my dad's business. I was working in a dot-com. One of my dad's clients hired me um, away from my dad's firm. I'd already kind of decided that I was going to go somewhere else, and I was looking at going back to school, and this client came and said, hey, I've got – a bunch of different startups that I'm working with, and I don't have anybody on my team that's good with numbers and finance and stuff. I got a bunch of engineers that can write code, but I need somebody who who sees the bigger business picture. Would you come work with us? And so I did. And I remember sitting in a in a conference room in St. Petersburg, Florida, actually it's Tampa, Florida, looking across Tampa Bay in the, in this really nice glass office building. We're in this conference room about ten or twelve stories up. And I'm sitting around the table with about maybe five or six other guys, and they're all way older than me. And I'm at this point, I'm about 27 years old, and all these guys are in their 50s, at least. I think the youngest guy was our marketing guy, and he was somewhere in his mid to late 40s. And I'm sitting in this room, and I'm thinking, 
I don't belong here. And then I thought back to all the stuff that I've been through with my dad, and I was looking at this financial model that I was responsible for. It's basically the financial model that described everything the company was going to do over the next 18 months. And, th- and this is something that I had built. I had, I had built every assumption after talking to all these different people who were part of the business operations. I'd gone and I got the costs. I had scaled the growth of the company. I, had, I mean, I had worked this spreadsheet inside and out, and I knew it backwards and forwards. And I, I remember thinking, I'm in over my head, and I remember looking down at the laptop I was using and seeing that spreadsheet and thinking back to a lot of the experiences I'd had with my dad that had given me the ability to put this kind of modeling stuff together. And I thought, nope, I, I got this. I belong here. I can do this. I've earned my seat at this table. And that's the leapfrog effect. And it, it happens a lot in family businesses. And you can see it. I think sometimes it's hard to see until the kids have an opportunity to move outside the, the family business. So like in my case, you know, I, you really saw it after I left my dad's firm. In larger companies, you know, you get those 10, 15, 20 million dollar companies, the kids have more opportunities to shine and more opportunities to demonstrate the leapfrog effect. But in the smaller companies, sometimes they have to leave and it's in their next position that you see the the real benefit of this where you look around the table, and they're 10, 15, 20 years younger than their contemporaries. And they've been able to leapfrog up an entire generation in terms of their exposure to business. And I think it has more to do with their mental ability to say, I do belong here. This is a place where I'm going to choose to be comfortable. I'm going to believe that I've earned my seat at this table. And a lot of times, almost always, they have gotten to that point because their parents brought them into situations and gave them access to situations and to people and to sizes of deals or scope of engagements or, or um, you know, the, the consequences of, of, of success or failure and whatever that project was, they brought them into that and gave them access that other, other people their age, other professionals their age would have never gotten access to those things. So that's the leapfrog effect. Uh, the next one I, I want to talk about, number seven, this is, I would say, what kind of summarizes two generations are better than one. And when you talk about generational businesses, you know, I, I don't see, I mean, there's a few that I've been involved with in third generation business, but most, from, for the most part, what I have experience with, what I've worked the most with are, are two generation businesses where it's, uh, father, son, um, you know, father, daughter, mom, and dad, and all the kids, or, you know, what have you. But it's two generations. Well, e- even in two generations, you're talking about a twenty to thirty year difference in age. And when you're experiencing the technological change that we experience, you know, and have been experiencing since I don't know how far you want to go back, but it, it's it, you can make the argument that it's accelerating, but you know, for the last 50 years, technology is just changing like crazy. And I know when I came out of school, um, I had a lot more experience with computers than my dad did at his age. You know, he didn't have any at his age, but we were still kind of learning together because computers were coming into that consumer side of the business, that small business side of the business. Well, nowadays, you know, tools are coming out. In the last 10 years, we've seen a big shift from 
software that was that was installed on hardware to virtual software, software that runs in the cloud, software that um, we basically just log into. Somebody else updates, somebody else releases, somebody else installs, and we don't have to maintain that side of it. We don't have to be concerned with hardware requirements or any of that stuff. And then you have the mobile side of things where if if something doesn't have a mobile component to it, it's basically outdated before it even gets off the ground. Who knows what's going to happen over the next 10 years, over the next five years. But it's almost a certainty that the kids are going to be more familiar with this technology than their parents were. But it's not just technology. And I, and I mentioned that first because that's what everybody goes to. That's their initial assumption. Said, oh, yeah, he's talking about the tech side of things because kids are, you know, they, they spend more time on their iPhones than mom and dad do or their Android devices or whatever. It's not just the technology. The generational effect is some, the two generations are better than one also extends into management styles. I mean, if you, there's this great propensity to um, name generations. So um, I guess my, my parents were the baby boomers. I think I was generation X. Um, And then I guess you had Y and you had millennials. And now I don't know what we're on to now, but when when you're talking about management styles, you know, I, I could relate to people who are my age um, a lot better than my dad could because I knew what they were – I knew what they were about. I knew what their tastes and preferences were. I knew what their um, – what, kind of, what their education had kind of been like. I knew what the – the history that they had grown up with was, you know, we, we all remembered where we were when the space shuttle exploded. We all remembered where we were when we heard that the Berlin wall had come down. And so those are things that we shared as part of our, our, uh, culture, if you will, generational culture. So I was able to relate to those people better. And I had a much different management style than my dad did with them. When it comes to recruiting, when it comes to selling into those generations, then there's a rapport, and it's easier for me to sell to you know, certain things to folks of my own generation. So when you have that second generation come into the business, it opens the door for the business to advance on a whole bunch of different fronts. Technology is certainly one of them, but if the parent is not taking advantage of the next generation's ability to manage their generation better, um, to sell to their generation better, to recruit into their generation better, then they're missing a huge opportunity. And I try to encourage my clients to take advantage of the fact that your children are 20 years younger than you are, 30 years younger than you are. Don't let that be be something that you um, don't use as a competitive advantage for your business and your market. The um, The interesting thing about two generations are better than one is the children are oftentimes the ones who are still reading management books. You know, there's still business books, nonfiction business books kind of have come into their own during my lifetime. You look before the, the, the 1980s, there weren't a whole lot of business books out there. Now, now they're everywhere. You, any management subject, any leadership subject, any, any kind of, um, self-improvement, personal development, and business, any kind of angle you want, you can find a business book on it that's published every month. And the kids are still reading those things. A lot of times the parents have stopped reading, or maybe they weren't readers to start with, or maybe you have parents who are readers and kids who aren't. But 
the fact that there's so much material coming out and there's so much new uh, information and new studies. And, uh, and a, a lot of times the parents have kind of grown this skeptical, uh, there's nothing new under the sun viewpoint. And when you get the second generation come in, it really can infuse new lifeblood into the learning of the organization. Maybe they start to do things a little bit differently or they start to build a learning culture inside the company. And I think that's another big added benefit of having that two generations are better than one benefit. So number eight, um, this one is for the business owner. This is for the, that first generation. It's kind of the primary beneficiary, and it's it's the fact that the founder of that business gets much more candid feedback when there's a second generation there. And a lot of times, you know, this is one of those hidden opportunities. This is a problem that a lot of parents voice to me, uh, and I'm sure that it's a, a problem that my dad would have voiced to somebody like me if he'd have been working with a practice advisor or somebody at the time. Um, it, it's one of those problems that the parents experience that really is a benefit if they can see it that way. And I, I joke with people and I, I tell them, you know, my dad should have fired me a long, long, long time before I moved on to my next job because I was insubordinate. You know, I was somewhat insolent. I thought I knew everything. I thought that my ideas were better. I couldn't understand why he wasn't listening to them. And, you know, the fact is he did know a lot more. It's funny. After I started my own business, my dad got a lot smarter. You know, I started to see where a lot of the stuff that he, he had positions he had taken, those were really the wise positions to take. Those were the smart things to do. So, when parents have that second generation come in, they do have this opportunity to get more candid feedback than they're going to get anywhere else. You know, the kids are going to tell them stuff that the employees won't tell them. The kids are going to voice their opinions and their feelings a lot of times because they don't have this fear of being fired. They're going to talk to the parents in a way that's different than the way the other employees talk to them because they're their parents, because they grew up with them. Now, it shouldn't be disrespectful. And I, I tried, and I hope that I succeeded. I tried not to be disrespectful to my dad. I'm sure that there were some times when I didn't succeed at that as much as I would like to think I did. But uh, um, you know, for that second generation, if you're listening to this, you owe it to your parents to pay them respect. You know, do not disrespect your parents in the in ever, but especially in the course of the business, especially in, in front of the employees that they depend on to make this business run. You owe that to them. But within the bounds of being respectful, you can offer feedback that they're not going to get anywhere else. They, you can tell them that their ideas. Are crazy. You can tell them that the way they executed on that was not good. You can tell them that the customer really wasn't happy in spite of what the customer told them. Uh, and I can't – I think this is another one of those things you can't overestimate. It goes back to like the trust part and the, the experience of not – you can't overestimate how big of an impact that can have on the child's career. I don't think you can overestimate the impact that candid – accurate feedback from that second generation speaking to the parent can have on the success of the business. I've seen it literally change product lines because the child said, you know, we've been making this stuff for 20 years and it, it's the proverbial buggy whip. It's it's not going to be needed in the next 10 years. And if we don't start changing things now, 
we're not going to have enough time to train people on how to sell it. We're not going to have to train. We're not going to have enough time to train customers that this is what they need to be buying now. And we have to make this switch. And nobody else was willing to take that stand because it meant a huge capital investment, huge investment of, of money into a new machining tool, huge investment of dollars into going out and hiring new salespeople because the old salespeople just simply weren't going to sell this new stuff. And we had to go out and find somebody else who would buy into the new vision of the company. And for a period of three or four years, we're going to have to carry those folks until the the, product, the new product line became successful. And they were spending more of their time on education rather than they were on sales. So it required a lot of guts to stand up to mom and dad and say, what we're doing here is not going to work. And nobody else is going to tell you this because you're signing their paychecks. But I'm telling you, this is not going to work. And I'll be here for, for as long as the company is viable. But my fear is inside of the next five to 10 years, I'll be looking for another job. And I won't have the chance to run this company for the next 20, 30 years because we're on a track to obsolescence. So that kind of feedback, again, in that particular case, saved that company. Almost certain that it saved the company because they did get out. Um, they they didn't jump on board 100%. I'd say they jumped on board about 80%. And um, But they did go ahead and start making these changes, and they wound up probably with a two-year head start by the time they were all in on the rest of the industry. And that really helped them grow significantly over the next two to three years and replace revenue from the side of the business that was essentially obsolete, but they still had contract orders to fill, so they continued to do those. So that's number eight. Number nine, the the owner mindset is objectified. That's what I wrote down for this one, so an objectified owner mindset. But the, the, you need to explain what that means, and there's probably a much better, concise way to, to name this particular benefit. But what I mean by that is that the founder may think people should act in a certain way, but the second generation provides a reality check. And I, I, when you hear business owners say things like, you just can't find good people anymore, one of the things that you should ask them is, well, what do you mean by good people? You know, so do you mean people who will work uh, the same, you know, work really, really hard? for wages that were paid 10 years ago. You know, sometimes that's what they mean. What they mean by you can't find any good people is that people want market wages and they're not willing to pay them. Um, You can't find good people anymore. What do you mean by that? Well, it could be that they mean, um, you know, people are going to ask for time with family on the weekends. You know, in 20, 30 years ago, nobody expected to be spending Saturdays at home with their family. You know, they all knew that they were going to come in and work a half or three-quarter day. Uh, so, you know, the, the owner expects, and this maybe this ties in a little bit with the previous one, but a lot of times business owners will say, you know, what, they'll ask me, how can we get these people to act more like owners? Well, the only real way to get them to act more like owners is to make them owners of the company. We're not going to go into that today. But, you know, through ESOPs and things like that, you can, you can accomplish the reality of them being owners, but absent the reality of them being owners, you know, how do you encourage them to think like owners think, to take the kind of risk that owners take, to care the way owners care? And a lot of times business owners will will think that people should behave a certain way as owners, 
And then they get that second generation who's actually going to become an owner. You know, I mean, almost always the plan is for the second generation to come in and earn their way into ownership in the company, either through a number of years or through a financial investment of buying mom and dad out and paying a note down with profits. I mean, there's all different ways. But, you know, usually those kids come in and the kids come in with the expectation that they're going to own the company one day. And the parents bring the kids in with the expectation that the kids are going to own the company one day. And so you have a situation where everybody else, you're trying to figure out what do I have to do to make them think and act like owners. But now you actually have a situation where one of the employees is going to be an owner. Maybe maybe they already are an owner. They've got a small stake in the company, you know, 5 or 10 or 15% stake in the company. And so they actually are owners or they're they're pretty much owners. They're going to be owners. And they don't act the way that the business owner thinks they're going to act. And this is where the reality check comes in. You know, so the, the business owner may say, well, you know, how do I get people to act like owners of the company? And and their definition of that is, well, they never lose a customer because owners of the company know you, you just don't lose customers. You do whatever you can. The customer's always right. You have to make the customer happy. And then you have the second generation in, and let's say the second generation is they own 10% of the company. But over the next 10 years, they're expected to own all of it. And so the, this second generation actually is an owner, and in 10 years, they're going to own the whole thing. And they come in and they go, you know what, Dad? You know what, Mom? Uh, we need to get rid of these customers. We, when they treat people here, when they treat people in the warehouse like, like jerks, when they disrespect our receptionists, I'm sorry, but we're not going to we're not going to take the position that they're right anymore. I know that's the way you've done it for the last 30 years, and the customer's always right. But I'm telling you, that's not what we're doing anymore. And it actually changes the perception of that founding parent about what an owner should look like, what an owner should act like, what what they can expect out of an owner. Um, Another good example is let's say that second generation owner comes in and they decide that they're not going to work Saturdays. You know, that they, they're going to work, they'll work 10 out, 10, 11, 12 hours, whatever it takes during the week. But Saturdays are sacred because they want to go coach soccer or they want to spend time with their wife or they, whatever, the, whatever their priorities are around family simply dictate that they're not going to work on Saturdays. And that change. So now the founding member looks out at the employees who are coming into the market and realizes, you know, things are different now. I'm not going to be able to expect people to work six days a week and give up family time because this generation cares more about family than my generation did. And it's not not that they care more. I, I, I said that poorly. But the cultural expectation is much different. The cultural expectation now is that you do spend time with your family, that you do have some work-life balance, whereas 30, 40 years ago, work-life balance was something that only applied to retirees. So getting that extra perspective, it, it can work for the owner, but here's the other thing. It can also work for the employees. Having that second generation in can change the perception of how employees think owners sh- should think. So. I've had this be the case too, where the second generation comes in and they don't have stock yet. But yeah, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, eventually they're going to own the company. Everybody kind of understands that, that that's the track, that's the game plan. But this this kid comes in and all of a sudden he's bringing new ideas to the table. All of a sudden she is staying late and making sure that the presentations for the next day are all done. 
all of a sudden she's um, spending time taking um, other employees out to lunch to get to know them, to understand what's frustrating them, to get their feedback on what's happening in the business, maybe to encourage them. Um, she's putting together awards programs that recognize outstanding performance. Uh, there's all kinds of things that kids will come in and do. And all of a sudden the owner sees this, the, the founding parent sees this and goes, huh, maybe I should be doing more of that stuff as the owner of the company. And the employees see it and go, wow, this is what it means to start acting like an owner. And you, so you'll have managers who start to take their direct reports out for lunch and, and see you know, what their concerns are, get that feedback. So it works from both sides. It can change the perception of the parent for what an owner should look like, and that, that affects the expectations they have for employees that they want to act like owners, even though they're not owners. It can also change the perspective of the other employees who look at this new person coming in and go, oh, okay, you know, I had a hard time relating to dad because he's 30 years older than than me, you know, dad being the founding partner. But Junior, who's in here, um, I get it. I see the way he's he, – I see the way he balances work and family. I see the way he treats customers. I see the, the work schedule that he does put in and what his expectations are for communication, that kind of thing. And so now I've got – before I thought acting like an owner was this, and now I see that acting like an owner can also be this thing over here. Uh, so that's what I mean by the owner mindset is objectified. It gives people – a second way to see an owner of the company. And a lot of times that can be a game changer for how they perceive what they're supposed to do and what their position is. And number 10, um, this is that same mentoring topic, but from a different side of things. And, and before we talked about, um, let's see, it was number five, mentoring has a formal time and place. Number 10 is that the owners actually experience mentoring. So let's say that they take advantage of that formal time and place we talked about earlier, and they start to put some things on the calendar that are built around mentoring that second generation. Well, a lot of times, this is this is the first opportunity, not first opportunity, this is the first opportunity they've taken advantage of. It's not the first opportunity they've had, but it's the first one they've taken advantage of where they actually do mentor someone. And a lot of times, these these first generation founders may not have mentored anyone before. And all of a sudden, now they've got this mentoring relationship with their child who's who come who's come into the business. And I've seen them see the benefits of that. I've seen them see the benefits of that for the employee, the child in this case. And I've also seen them see the benefits, just kind of the the giving something back. Um, you know that it's it's about more than just giving them a paycheck. It's about giving them a piece of myself. It's about sharing some of the things that I've learned over the years. It's about sharing how I perceive what's going on in their life and and giving them some some hard feedback that maybe nobody else is going to give them as a mentor. And they go, you know, I should be doing this not just for my son. I should be doing this for my direct reports. And I think my direct reports should be doing this for their direct reports. And maybe not all of them, but maybe maybe the business starts a mentoring program where new employees coming in are assigned a mentor who's maybe a generation older and can speak into their life and talk about things from a perspective that they don't often get around the lunch counter or hanging out after work or uh, from their friends that they see on the weekends. So this idea that the owners can experience mentoring, and a lot of times the first time they experience it is with that second generation. It's that, that family relationship and that recognition that parenting 
is over now and I'm entering this new phase, it gives them the courage to, to start some of these mentoring activities and they see the benefit of it and they go, wow, I should have been doing this a long time ago. And we need to expand this and other people in the company need to be doing this as well. And you'll see that owner take on maybe a couple other uh, employees as mentors or mentees. And you'll see them encourage uh, direct reports to, to pick one or two promising young people in the company and mentor them. And all of that comes out of this first experience of having it, having done it with their kids. So I think, you know, like I said before, there's a lot that's, that goes on in family-run businesses that doesn't happen anywhere else. It's a kind of a unique playground for, uh, for business practices, for relational development. It gives us an opportunity that you just don't see every day in business. And I consider those families that have family businesses to be incredibly lucky. Just to be able to spend that time um, with parents and children, to be able to, um, to reap some of the benefits of this higher trust level. And that's what we focused on today was all the great stuff that comes out of the 10 best things about running a family business. And maybe you have some that I haven't thought of. Maybe there's some things that you've experienced working in a family business or running a family business. And if you have those and you're listening to this, by all means, go to the website. It's uh, axiomstrategic.com slash podcast slash 017. You can put those in the comments. We'll talk about them during the next episode. In episode 18, we're going to talk about the 10 worst things about owning a family business. And, that, and it's funny because when I get into conversations about those things, that's where the business owners are like, hey, can you come talk to my kid? Because they don't understand that this is one of the worst things about running a family business. But I would encourage you to start with the best things. You know, that you really do have a unique opportunity that doesn't exist on every storefront on Main Street or every business in a business park. When you have a family-run business, it's something special, and it should be treated as such. So I hope you found this useful, and we'll see you back next week.